Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Natural Running Network. We are brought to you by Mio, makers of the world's first strapless heart rate monitor sports watches, and MedHab, makers of RPM Squared, an innovative system of gait analysis that slips right into your running shoes. My name is Richard Diaz. I am your host. Are you a runner? Do you love to get out and challenge yourself? Running your first marathon or maybe caught the bug of obstacle racing? Well, sit tight because this is a show you just don't want to miss. This episode is going to be a recap of the world's toughest mutter, which just went down last week. And I am happy to say that I've got a couple of the participants of that event on board with me this morning. And just some great stuff to talk about. We've got Miguel Medina, who was part of the uh, Wolfpack team. They were defending their title from the previous year. And Nicodemus Holland, who also entered as a, a team and ended up going solo, which we will discuss. The both of them are with me. And before we get involved in this conversation about World's Toughest Mutter, I would like to let you folks know that next week is Black Friday show. And if you recall from last year, if you've been spending the time with me over the last year, you know that I give away some really, really cool stuff. How we're going to do it, I'm not terribly sure yet, but I I can assure you that you really want to pay attention because I've got some great gifts to give away, and if you snooze, you lose. So with no further ado, I'd like to introduce first Miguel Medina. Say hello, Miguel. Buenos dias. That was a good. <laughs> I just that was a joke. You know, it's that, you know, it's funny that you said hello in Spanish because there was a time when I was really searching long, hard, and often to find someone that would help me to put this show out in Spanish because there's so many people in the Spanish community that like to listen to podcasts. That would actually be pretty cool. I I would be game with doing something in Spanish just because I speak Spanish for a living, anyways. Aside from being a, a mud running obstacle racing crazy person so yeah I'm, yeah I'm, well being an awesome. interpreter I, I guess it's right in your wheelhouse right it, it is it's 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 definitely in the same uh in the same barn and we have also with us nicodemus holland nicodemus ultra marathon ocr holland say hello nick that's that's a lot of a lot of acronyms between there a lot of a lot of names in between my name there but yeah hello guys uh, glad to be on the show again with you guys and uh yeah, when when off the S as well, but <laughs> <laughs> also a, a well spoken. Um, not, not not quite as well as Miguel, but uh, well, you're not Spanish. I have a, I have a small interpreter's uh, certificate that I never did anything with. He's so. got he's got a bit of an edge <laughs> on you, being that he, his his mother speaks Spanish to him probably all the time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. My whole family. So, it yeah, it didn't work good. for me. I got to tell you, it didn't. Both my parents spoke Spanish to me all my life, and I. I just never, I never mastered it. Like, you know, not growing up in California. I figured you just adopted Diaz because you lived in California and you thought it was cool. But, you know, right. no, truth comes out. No, no, truth no. comes out. Actually, yeah. uh, Cuban 
So probably one of the few, There's, I mean, we're a minority in this state. Especially in California. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So let's talk about the world's toughest mutter. And guys, i got to tell you, I could not get away from my computer screen. I was tracking stats like a bookie. Yeah. I, mean, I, I mean, I was on it. I was looking at every step. And I could almost decipher when people were taking a nap, when they were running, almost <laughs> anticipating what was going to happen next just by bouncing back and forth between all the favorites and the people uh, that I'm familiar with. Okay. And so let's start out by talking about the team race as it began. Ah, uh, the team race. Yeah. And yeah. so this is an interesting conversation, I think, because we got polar opposite circumstances here. You guys both were on highly favored teams. Mm-hmm. And in Miguel's case, you guys in the beginning, as I was watching it, you were hanging on pretty tough right behind... Uh, Ryan Atkins's uh, synergy team. Yeah, and you guys were looking good. I was thinking, all right, well they're just sitting in the pocket there. They're looking for a chance to uh, make their move later in the race. Bingo. And then uh, all of a sudden you weren't. And uh, of course I wasn't, you know, out there, so I didn't know specifically what occurred. But clearly there was a breakdown somewhere along the way. And, yeah. And so let, let me just finish. And so you guys stopped. And then, let me paint this picture. And in Nick's case, there was a breakdown, and then Nick elected to continue on solo. And so this is kind of a painful experience in both regards, because one, the the question is, do you stick with your team and shut it down? Or two, do you decide, you know what, screw it, I'm going to go for this? And I've got both camps here. So, Miguel, let's get your perspective on what occurred. You don't have to give me the grave details, but just kind of a broad stroke of where things were, how it kind of went down, and your decision to hang back. And then, Nick, we're going to give the floor to you. Sounds good. Yeah, I mean, um, so we were we started out real strong. Our entire team is physically capable of, of achieving what our goal was, which is 100 miles and everything. But, unfortunately, one of our teammates, uh, Isaiah was dealing with some ankle injuries from previous races and it just you know that kid that Isaiah I, I really have to commend him he will push he will give you his heart and soul out on the field and just physically his body couldn't his ankles couldn't take it you know so we we had a pretty good clip and we were just basically hanging out in the pocket waiting for for nightfall um, because we figured that that's when synergy would start to drop because they have lower body fat and just a couple of them haven't done anything as intense as that. And Isaiah's ankles just kept getting worse and worse and worse to the point where we started walking just more than we were even trotting. And I think it was around lap eight or nine that we were realizing like, this is, this is useless. You know, we, we should, if we keep doing this, we're just going to injure him further and nothing, there's nothing to gain from that. So we decided to call it, um, when we were doing our 10th lab, just so we can get out there and, and say we got 50 miles done because we were, we were doing it, you know, we still came out there and had a good time and, uh, big props to the teams that came out and crushed it and took top three, you know, and, and in general to anyone who finished it, but it is what it is. We're uh, we're all getting ready for next year. That's all we can think about as far as the original crew is going. So we're already planning out our, our training year and uh, going to retake that, that crown as world's toughest motors team. All right. So 
just the burning question is that, and I'm, I'm sure people want to know, did you at any time or anybody else on your team, for example, Hunter uh, or yourself, think, you know what, I can do this. I feel strong. I feel good. I should just, you know, ditch the team thing and, and, and push on and see whether I can catch the leader. I mean, myself, I I came out there to race as a team, so I, I, I had told myself before that race even started that there was no way I was going to go individual. I was either going to finish that race as a team or I wasn't going to finish it at all. So I took it as my first DNF. Um, Mark Jones, I mean, by the time we let him go and, and start chasing, it was it was kind of already too late. So he, he made an attempt because he, he just looked like a stud out there. You know, he's Mark is an incredible endurance athlete, and he went out there and got a couple more laps in, but the pit and others basically told him that uh, there was, you know, there was no point because he wasn't going to catch the top three or something like that. Although realistically, he might have been able to push a little harder had we had let him run earlier. And uh, Hunter just said he was going to crew for Mark. And so Isaiah and I were out there and we just decided to finish that last lap to hit 50. So that was about it. I mean, I'm sure Hunter probably could have gone out there and, and kept racing and same as Mark and maybe caught a uh, top five or top three for it. But at the end of the day, we were out there to win a team race, and if that's not what we were going to do, we would stop. Okay. So, Nick, on the other end of the spectrum, and I know you have some feelings about this. Absolutely. You elected at, uh, uh, I think it was probably, well, you'll, you'll, I guess you could tell us, but it seemed like to me about 50 miles in that you decided to, to go solo as, you know, there was problems with your team. You can You can share that, but... Well, let's just share that. Tell, tell me what your thoughts were and tell me when you decided it was time to go and what your thoughts were about it. Yeah, so so just a little bit of background on the team. You know, I had dedicated to so one of the members on my team that, hey, we're doing we're doing WTM as a team. This, like, going, going, going far back on it, WTM 2014 was an absolute kind of disaster for me personally. And only getting 55 miles in and DNFing it at 10 hours into the race, I was like, dude, i got to come back and get some personal revenge of this race. And... Um, so not letting go of that fully, I think that was still, even when I committed to my friend in February saying, hey, yeah, dude, I'm totally down to be on a team. I think, you know, looking back on this now, on the experience now, I think a lot of that was still subconsciously lingering in my mind, in my brain, um, even though I said, dude, totally on it to be on a team. Um, I'm 100% for this team thing. And I committed to him back in February. We put together a team and we had that solid in June. Then Joe Decker, of course, developed a uh, calf injury, and so we replaced him with my friend Tom. And then, um, and then we got back. Uh, it was like three days before the race when 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 one of the other teammates emailed me and was like, "Oh, I've got classes this weekend, and I just I'm, I'm so busy, and I just, I can't make it this weekend." And three days before the race, after the guy had made a seven month commitment, uh, we we suddenly found ourselves out of a teammate, and so we. We grabbed a, a friend who my, my, my friend Tom knew, uh, Jordan, and he joined our team last minute. And he had had, he'd done maybe a 50K, um, but didn't have like any OCR experience or anything. So instantly that that um, that kind of idea of having really a, a solid team dynamic going into this race, and really, you know, those, those hopes, those aspirations of, you know, being the team to hit the 100 miles and get the 100 grand or being top three, those, those aspirations that, you know, I really had for my team we're not not starting to diminish but starting to be like okay well you know we're we're going to see what happens and so that was really part of what you know aside from getting to work with my teammates who are all my really good friends as well 
Um, certainly that was in the back of my mind, like, oh, dude, yeah, we got to be top three. We got to try for the 100K. Very similar to the Wolfpack strategy. You know, our strategy was, you know, come from behind. Um, up to mile, God, it was mile, it was lap to seven, so whatever that is. That's like mile 35. And so we, we were moving, you know, a little bit in an hour or so, maybe a lap behind Wolfpack and Synergy. And um, uh, one of our guys just started, uh, Jordan, just started to develop um, some degree of hypothermia, but because we had zero team dynamic, because, like, I just met the guy, like, three, four days ago, I didn't know, like, you know, okay, when he says, oh, hey, my leg's getting cold, you know, I don't know that means, like, you know, that he's kind of a, a quiet guy, and when he says my leg's getting cold, that really means he's already mildly hypothermic. He's not one to say outwardly, hey, I'm dying here, um, whereas, you know, I, I would say that. And so these, like, subtle, these subtle things uh, that you would learn about people maybe months prior to, you know, in bonding activities and stuff like that, you know, I didn't, we didn't have a chance to do that with our team at all, so, um, so that passed, lap seven passed, and, and he's still like, oh, dude, my leg, my leg, and then, and then, so he's running, essentially what he was telling us at lap seven was that he was getting hypothermic, and so by lap nine, when we finally, like, start to pay attention to it, it's like the pace of the team has slowed to a crawl, we're approaching, like, a two, two and a half hour loop, which is just way, 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 way off pace, um, of, of what we all wanted to be doing as a team. And really there wasn't that discussion. Um, there was the discussion with the original team that we had months ago as to like, okay, plan A is, is 100K, plan B is top three, plan C is is whatever it was, and plan D is, you know, disband if, 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 if it all goes to hell. And then we'd had that discussion with the original team, but with these new additions that we'd had last minute, you know, there wasn't that, again, those, those contingency plans made solid, so whether, you know, that was my fault as a team captain for not addressing that immediately or not, um, that that was the situation. So this was right around between the obstacles, grease monkey and uh, tight fit. So so right, there's a little section between tight fit and uh, grease monkey. And uh, Jordan was coming through tight fit with Tom, and then I was, I was up like a little bit ahead with Will. And um, I just, as a team captain, I, I never... Again, coming from like seven to eight years of ultra running experience, uh, the whole team dynamic thing was really new for me as well. And so um, going from a sport where, you know, I'm just relying on myself and my success and failures entirely on me, it was it was really interesting for me to, to finally be working with a, with a team where it was, you know, the success and failure of the team is, is how well you guys work together as a team. And so I found myself, you know, whether it was my own ego or whatever it was, constantly like a little bit ahead of the team whereas it would have been much more useful had I like thrown that out the door better and, and you know hung back and actually been helpful over a couple of the obstacles um, well look, can I just can I just get in the middle of this for a second yeah. you st- you're almost sounding apologetic and, and I yeah, yeah. And, and I heard you say that uh, a couple times in some of the posts that you that you put up yeah, yeah. And, and I'm just going to be here to tell you that you got nothing to apologize for <laughs> I think that uh, uh, your initial thought was that you have a bit of a bit of vendetta. Yeah. Uh, you wanted to do well there. You knew you could do well there. Right. Uh, you had a team where there were some issues and things started to get a little south. Uh, yep. I, quite frankly, knowing what I know about you, what I would have liked to see you do is drop the team earlier when things started to show up as being a problem. Um, because, right. And here's the thing. This is this is a race, okay? If, yeah. if if people were shooting at you, and now you got a team issue because then you you got to you know you got to save a life. 
Right. But at the end of the day, this is a recreational sport. And the advantage that you had, and um, clearly, you know, at this point you can attest, is that you were capable of catching up to the leaders, ending up on the podium, which incidentally was absolutely miraculous how you pulled that off. Yeah. And it, it, it makes us sad. Oh, my God. You know, knowing that you're capable of doing that. And this isn't an egotistical thing. This is you knowing that if I push on at any moment, I have a chance of potentially even winning this thing. And yeah. just just laying back, laying back, laying back, and in the back of your mind knowing that you have a chance of winning or right. actually showing up on the podium, the decision was a simple one, I thought. I don't think that really it comes down to you letting anybody down. Those guys were already not making it. They weren't gonna. It wasn't gonna happen. And right. So that was the the what what happened ultimately then was I was I was up with uh with Spencer and we were chatting and he was like oh I chatted with Tom and he says you know dude like thank you thank you for being as patient as you've been you know things are starting to fall apart here and I I completely understand if you want to go on you know we got you got eleven hours left in the race to go make something of yourself still and I looked at my watch and I'm like oh man like that's not much that's it's funny when you when you've done so many hundred miles and you look at your watch and you're like. 11 hours ain't shit for time. Um, and, uh, and, and so, yeah, I looked at my watch and I was like, yeah, you know, I guess I'll, I'll go, I'll go have fun with it then. And, um, yeah, it was at that point, you know, right around grease monkey after waiting about 10 or 15 minutes to, to hopefully discuss it with the other guys. Cause obviously, you know, another regret of mine is that, that really should have been a decision that was, that was made with all four of us there talking. Can you promise to just race individual next year and just crush it and hit like 125 miles? But <laughs> Yeah, just please go do that because that needs to happen. I would, I would yeah. love to watch you just win that shit because it was a real bummer with what happened uh, in 2014. Right. So, right, right, time right. To, time, to, time to make it happen because pulling third place out of nowhere was was pretty miraculous. Yeah, yeah. It, it ended up being fourth. Apparently, apparently third was a uh, third was like another half a lap or a lap ahead of me. Um, I and, and and I was all stoked when I crossed the finish line. I was like, oh, third place, but I I had uh, I'd misread the calculation somewhere or something. But all fourth. right, well, still top. Still, you're still amazing. So did you get paid? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Just as long as you got paid. It's just what sucks is if you fall outside the money and you worked your butt off to get there. That that would have hurt. Right. I'm glad. I don't know what you got paid, but as long as you you got paid something, that (laughs) holding a check is is yeah. You offset the the mad buffet costs. Oh man, that's yeah. Dude, that uh. Fifty dollar all you can eat buffets at the casinos. You gotta exactly. put those under control. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> yeah, so that was that was ultimately the decision though, and then um, you know from there it was just uh, I passed. I came up on a I guess four cents, and another dude has his name was Big Bird um, was the name on his back. I know he was he, like him and that four cents guy were like sixth and seventh, and I came up on them pretty instantly after after leaving my team. And, and, I, and I jokingly said to them, you know, as as I was passing them on the way to Hydroplane, I said to them, uh, "Oh, you know, uh, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to catch you guys." And uh, and they just kind of laughed, you know. They they were safely like two laps ahead of me at that point, and um, you know, little did they know I was I was gonna just start knocking out like 120s for the rest of the race. <laughs> but uh, well, you, uh, I think it was around uh, your uh, 75 miles. I think it was the split time. For your average pace was thirteen forty seven, I think it was. Okay. And everybody else was lingering in the eighteens to twenty twos. Okay. And I'm right. talking about everyone else ahead of you. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And nice. they said that the computer was going to be a streaming video, which is a joke. I mean, you couldn't see anything with that. Yeah, I mean. So it, it was like I was back in the 50s listening to a fight on a radio. Right, right, and he's coming around the corner on number 52. But you were definitely. I the Periscope thing, by the way. I didn't see Periscope. I was just looking at the world's toughest mutter uh, site, which was, I think it was something 360, Race 360, I think it was. Yeah. But anyway, wow, you came out of nowhere. And, I mean, I even made a comment to Chad Trammell that, right. you know, your your pace was significantly faster than everyone else's for about uh, 25 miles or something like that. Right, yeah, and I mean, no, he he had a phenomenal race. I mean, especially from coming from from a 50k experience and everything like that. So he, um, you know, he obviously him him the second place guy and the third place guy obviously you know ran hard enough in the beginning. And I didn't uh, by the 11th hour of the time when I actually started my own race, 13 hours of the race had already passed. So when I started my kick, quote unquote, um, you know, it was already kind of a, a little a little too late. Um, but yeah, it was. Um, it was it was fun trying to chase him down, you know. I I've, I've had, you know, the Hurt 100 once where I closed an hour gap between uh, myself and Jason Lutet for for third place. Um and uh I I'd never closed. I think I closed hours between me and the 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 fifth place guy who I displaced. Um Scott Brown, I guess is his name. Um and uh that was <laughs> I it was it was fun. It was just really really fun to to see what I had left in the tank to chase people down like that, so I even made a comment. I think it was uh, if you needed twenty more miles. Yeah, that would have been nice. I, 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 I joked with Tom and everyone on my team. I was like, "Man, yeah, if this was a forty-eight or a seventy-two hour event, man, like, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be fine." <laughs> yeah, I don't know that anybody else was going to be able to do that. No. And Mark Jones said the same thing that he needed it to be a forty-eight hour event. I'm like, oh. <laughs> right? Me and Mark the only. Me and Mark would be the Crazy. only. Agent out there. Wow. <laughs> good. So let's talk about. Um, Let's talk about broad stroke stuff because there's a lot of people that obviously are paying attention to the world's toughest mutter and are voyeurs and curious to know, you know, preparation, what kind of things they ought to be doing, what how to wear, you know, what to wear, what to eat. What would you think between you guys? I don't care who picks it up, but what do you think is probably the most critical thing in respect to feeding strategy, for example? Um. I think that you need to eat real food. <laughs> uh, it's really, really, really... I mean, while you're out there doing your loops, it's fine to be chomping on blocks or gels and have some uh, good good electrolyte balance in your water. That's, that's fantastic. But when you come in for those transitions, even if it's a one-minute transition, something about chomping on pizza or getting some ramen in you or just... Any any sort of real food that you can get in you will help you stay warmer, and it'll just make you feel better from getting back out there every single lap. Real food is vital, plus really salty stuff so that you don't uh, so you don't cramp. Like this is my second year in a row doing this race, and it's my second year in a row not getting any cramps or any any hmm. even in, indication of cramps. Oh, man. You know, and nice. Yeah. What do you think, Nick? Uh, I, I would I would agree with him, man. Um, you know, I I keep a I like to keep a, a kind of a liquid base of I, I use CarboPro, and um, so I, I use that as my as my kind of base nutrition just to make sure I'm getting in enough calories every lap that I come around. Plus, it's really easy to slam down. But then, certainly for for satiating the stomach and the really 
I didn't think about that too much, but the the fact that it is cold weather constantly at WTM, no matter what venue they pick, it seems. Um, mm-hmm. It's uh, that, that, that cold weather and that constantly in and out of the water, you're burning like way upwards of the usual two calories per pound of body weight that, that most, you know, supplements recommend and stuff. So, um, yeah, getting some of that solid food and stuff. And, you know, I subsisted lap after lap off of, uh, you know, a combination of CarboPro, pumpkin pie. Um, I had a, hell, a wealth of burritos from uh, El Pollo Loco down the road. And um, we picked up like eight of those before the race, and that was just like my go-to thing. Um, Holy cow! You're going, you're going anaerobic, like at a lot of the a lot of like Everest or something like that. There's these short, high-energy bursts, of course, that you're doing during the race. But then otherwise, you're staying in between the obstacles. You're at a pretty low aerobic. Like you're not ever like going fast enough where you're gonna. You shouldn't be going fast enough where you're like not able to digest solid food. And so in that respect, like I, I think as Miguel is saying, you know, some sort of solid, real, whole food is huh. not a bad, is not a bad choice in this race. Um, it's delicious uh, donuts. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, yeah, you're not going to gain you're not going to gain minutes and minutes on your competitors like running up that first hill on your way to Everest. So that's the perfect time to be, yeah, you know, grab your your donuts, your pizza, whatever you know, high glycemic or chicken burrito type thing you want to do, and walk walk, walk that for the first part. Yeah, totally. Speaking of being cold. Scratch Labs has an electrolyte product that is designed for warm water, like a tea electrolyte type of thing, where instead of just cold beverages all the time, um, it's something you would drink hot. Interesting. Yeah, and I've never tried it, but I thought that was a pretty interesting idea to get a decent electrolyte replacement that is like a tea. Hmm. Those guys are just on the... On the forefront of awesome stuff, they've got cookie dough, they got yeah. they got all the good things. Oh, <laughs> that was, you know what? That was the only thing that was missing as far as nutrition. Scratch, 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 cookies. scratch cookies, you know. I went by REI to go uh, pick up some last minute stuff, and I saw the Scratch Labs cookie mix. I'm like, damn it! If only I had an oven. Right. I spoke to Jason, um, one of the um, principal guys at Scratch Labs, a couple hours ago. And they're going to give us some product to give away for my um, Black Friday show next week. And I had told him that I have people that are bugging the crap out of me about the cookie dough. Mm -hmm. And obviously I was talking about you, Miguel, because I know you love your cookies. Love cookies, donuts, and just about anything. When you guys came over for dinner a while back and I made those cookies. Those were good, man. Those were good. I remember when it got down to the, the last one on the plate. And you guys were looking around for something sharp to defend yourselves with. Yeah. <laughs> We'd go to fight for the cookie. I'd carve Nick's heart out with a spoon. I didn't care if I didn't get my last cookie. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so what about the wetsuit thing? You know, this this is something that I really can't get my head wrapped around, is that running, I mean, I've done triathlons, and just trying to run across the beach with a wetsuit on is a nightmare. I couldn't even imagine trying to run across a desert for 70, 80 miles with a wetsuit on. What do you recommend in respect to a wetsuit? How often do you wear it? What's what's the go-to things to think about? You know, after lap number, I think it was on our third, yeah, on our third lap, we Pretty we quick. had the sun setting, and that's when we realized, okay, lap as soon as we come in for lap number four, time to switch into our wetsuits because. It's a desert, so the temperatures drop quickly and the wind will start picking up. And lo and behold, that's exactly what happened on lap number four. So we switched into our wetsuits, and I used a three-millimeter wetsuit 
the entire time. It was a full body wetsuit. Initially, I was thinking about a spring suit. And, my, and that first lap, I was a little warm with it. But after that, the temperature continually dropped and I felt great with that three mil. If it would have got colder, I would have used a hood that was an extra two millimeters. Um, but actually, what I ended up doing was sticking to that three millimeter wetsuit and putting on a windbreaker over it. And that was just enough insulation to keep me from uh, reacting to the wind. Like I wasn't, I didn't feel cold almost that entire race, except for when we had to walk because of what ended up happening with our team. So as long as I was moving, I was warm. And actually it's great on a, you know, you don't think about this wearing a wetsuit until you're like in the middle of the race, but it really did a great job of protecting your knees when you were like, you know, doing, um, a kiss of mud tight now. fit and that kiss of mud like that yeah. was just nothing but rocks underneath the barbed wire yeah so the, the, <laughs> the it almost adds like like acts like padding for your body yep. uh, that keeps you warm so totally. um it's definitely important to have at least a three millimeter thick wetsuit and if you want before that you can use some frog skin and i know uh, some guys were using frog skin out there and that stuff is fantastic but i think a three millimeter wetsuit is great and maybe doing it um what hunter did and some other people did was cut the wetsuit from the knee down so that that way they didn't have the pressure building up on their calves and stuff. But yeah. What about you, Nick? Uh, I did a, you know, I changed into it after the second lap going into the third. As I said, our, our team was like about maybe a half a lap or full lap behind you guys. And so same, same probably about the same time, roughly. Um, I threw on a spring suit at first. Um, and so we probably killed, you know, going into next year, I'd say, if I was to be on the team or something again you know, definitely pick that transition time. So I transitioned fully into the full suit because I went from a spring suit and then into a full suit. Um, but the full suit that I went into, um, Spencer works uh, works with the military. And so he had a some like high military grade free diving suits uh, that he had available for us. And so I changed into one of those and that was um, really, really nice. I'm not sure whether it was three millimeter or five millimeter. Um, I think it was three mil because it was pretty flexible still but you know as Miguel is saying like a really nice quality wetsuit that you know I've done he gave it he gave me the suit probably a couple weeks before the race so I did goofy goofily I did like a couple like training runs around here in San Diego wearing the wetsuit which is you know pretty funky when you see a guy running down the trails and in a wetsuit um but um you know I, I definitely recommend people doing that though just to get that experience of okay this is this is my new range of motion um but it totally adds like yeah, that, that like nice protective layer. So when I was smashing myself into the walls or slipping off of something or, you know, I, I thought for a moment that, you know, I'd be protected from the electrical shock at uh, operation, but not so much. Nope. Um, <laughs> no shocks in the nope. way. Um, nope. And, um, but yeah, um, I used I used the three millimeter free diving suit. So that was a full body suit. Then I used a neoprene hood, uh, three millimeters, and then uh, like the lobster diving gloves uh, with Kevlar grip or whatever it is on those that works. Uh, extremely oh, um, yeah, gloves. Yeah, gloves, gloves. Essential. and then and gloves then beyond that, uh, neoprene neoprene socks, um, which gloves. helped out as well. So I I didn't follow the neoprene socks. I just wore some in gingies and my feet were okay. Um, but I just you just reminded me gloves. That yeah, that dude. made last year my hands were frozen because I didn't bring gloves because I was an idiot. This year I brought gloves. Uh, about the, I think they were five mil, and my hands were warm. And what I would do coming up on a grip-based obstacle, whether it was the Funky Monkey or um, anything that required grip, essentially, I would actually take off my gloves and just stuff them in between my belt that had my hydration stuff in it, okay, and just yep. and just go go with naked grip because that's what I've always used. And I didn't have any 
any any penalties. The only the only obstacle I actually never got was King of Swingers. I mean, I just King of Swingers. yeah. Uh, but it, otherwise, the, the bell was like five inches further than last year at least. I don't yeah, know. they made I'm, that. I'm, I'm, at least there was no penalty lap on that. So yeah, right. <laughs> so the uh, penalty laps. How how far did you end up having to run if you were to you know mess up on one of the obstacles? Man, um, similar to like Miguel, like I didn't, I didn't end up taking our, our team didn't end up taking too many. Um, the one on the one that we failed a couple times um, was Operation. Um, it was it's so difficult to get four people to grab that ring, um, and so it was like a I don't know less than probably one eighth of a mile or something. But you have to it's carry a, like, it's 50 like a hundred meter sandbag carry that you got to yeah. go through a little tunnel. Um, so you lose time in the little pipe or whatever, but yeah. otherwise it's really easy. Um, I think the only other penalty we were taking was uh, sometimes at the tramp stamp, mm-hmm. three out of four of us would get it, and that was like maybe like 200 meters. The longest penalty that there was was uh, just over 800 meters, and it was if you didn't do the clip. So there was one point in time in the middle of the night where we had uh, we got up to the cliff, and there was a line. There was like a like a wait, and apparently someone was just freaking out and like not able to jump or something. And we just okay. we just got impatient and decided like we're we're either going to sit here for fifteen minutes or we can just take the penalty that'll take us fifteen minutes. We might as well just keep moving instead of risk hypothermia. So so we took that and you just ended up going through the mud mile again and then uh, electroshock therapy. How was, how was, how was therapy? Oh, uh, it was fine. You know what? Windbreaker totally uh, deflected really? me from getting shocked at all. So I was really happy about that. Maybe I was just lucky. Maybe maybe Mexicans just don't conduct electricity. <laughs> but um, uh, I I didn't have any issues with it. But on on a, on on what's the other one? Operation. On the other hand, there was a guy next to me who just like sounded like he was gonna die because he was just like ah, <laughs> just yeah. just it's freaking out like you know. Um, so, so I think we only tried that once, and then the rest of the time we just took the penalty because we moved through it so quickly. Okay. How was yeah. the uh, drop into the, you know, that thirty-eight foot drop? It was only thirty-five feet this year. Yeah. Oh, so, so it was. Uh, in it that was case, great. you know, it's uh, that is actually my my favorite obstacle, and I can jump off a of cliff like that all day if it if I know I have plenty of uh, plenty of room to to fall under the water, you know, because mm. it's when you have. Like sometimes you go up to Malibu Canyon, and if there's not a whole lot of water in the creek or whatever, not in the creek, in in the that area where you can go bouldering and stuff, uh, it's a scary jump even from 20 feet up. But jumping 35 feet into water that's at least 25 or 20 feet deep, not an issue. It's actually really fun, and the green lights made it super cool. So I liked it. I was I loved it. It was neat. I had a different like stinging pain each time that I knew it. I, I landed. <laughs> Too far forward, too far back, arm too far out, right arm too far out. One of them, I, uh, I like left my mouth open or something like that when I landed. It shut my jaw really hard. <laughs> it felt like a treat. Yeah, just this kind of like resounding shock through my head. But um, I don't know the the way I approach the cliff though, though Richard is just I go if if there's no line, if there's a line, you have to wait, obviously. But um, when I'm approaching it, if there's no line, I'll ask the volunteer clear as I'm running up to it and, and I'll just go straight from my run right off the cliff without looking and by the time my brain processes that I'm falling I'm already hitting the water so that's how I do it each time I'll do that next uh, year I, I would just drop off of it I just did I just step off and like free fall oh I try to get like a little bit further so I have to swim less <laughs> yes I gotta do that next year yeah I, I don't think it saves much but I don't know uh, probably looks better the water yeah. wasn't too cold I, not in a uh, wetsuit 
No, not 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 in the wetsuit. Yeah, I did my 15th and 16th laps. You you were talking about that mile 75 one. Um, that one I took off my suit prematurely. I was in the full suit there, and I was like, my idea was like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna strip down, and then and it's hot enough out now, and it was probably like in the 50s. Um, it's like eight in the morning, and I was like, I'm getting too hot, so so I took off everything enough. So I was just in shorts and a in a in a t-shirt, and and then I had gloves and my neoprene hood just in case. And uh, the reason that was a 108 loop was because I was freezing going through the water, and I was freezing on the course, and so I was moving quickly to try and warm myself up. That was the only reason that loop was so fast. I was like, "This was a dumb idea." <laughs> Should have done it earlier. Yeah, so that was that was dumb, but it, I moved quickly, so that was okay. <laughs> Huh. Uh, yeah, wow. uh, I, it's a risky move because because if you don't move fast enough through that, you develop hypothermia. So, so honestly, do you think that the hundred mile team effort is a sucker's bet? Do you think somebody can actually do that as a team? Yes. E, yeah, you have to have a you have to have a you have to have a team of individuals that can each, in my opinion, do 105 to 110 miles of WTM. And then, and then if you if you have that group, you have a strong team dynamic. You know everybody's weaknesses and strengths. I I, th- I think you could pull it off. Um, you know Miguel's team, obviously. You know they've they've got those, those years under their belt now as, as as a team. So, you know I think some someone like their team, um, Atkins team, might have a chance at it again next year if they if they're a team again. Um, it's it's tough. It's tough to say. I don't know. It's, it's I'll like, make you a bet for for like a year supply of scratch lab cookies. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll work that out. You're probably gonna right. have to. You're probably gonna have to wear a t-shirt that says Scratch Labs, but I could probably get that worked out. You know what? If I get a year supply of cookies, I think. Okay. <laughs> so I I did talk to Ryan Atkins, by the way, and yep. he my question to him was obviously, did you think it was a sucker's bet? And his comment to me was. He didn't elaborate, but he did say that under the right conditions, he felt that he could do it. Yeah. I don't know. Got to be some good conditions. Race is only going to get harder. So. Well, and I, you know, it it made me wonder what he meant by that. Um, yeah. It made me wonder whether he was suggesting that somebody on the team needed to be replaced, or. There was somebody on the team that wasn't strong enough. I mean, obviously you think those things, and I, I don't know, but that's kind of where he left it. Uh, mm. yeah, I think you're doing the same thing I did. I think uh, that's a funny way of saying it. I don't know. I think honestly, last year, if I would have, if we would have had the original crew, or if Isaiah would not have been injured, I'm pretty confident that we would have hit it because we had no intentions of of slowing down. The cold wasn't getting to us. Everyone was warm. Everyone was, everyone was good. You know, it was just that 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 freaking injury. I tried really hard to not cuss right now. That that just that screwed us. So, well, I looked at it. I tried to look forward to it next. And the wind. You know, there was no wind. That that was a big the big factor. Like the wind, you know, I think at the most we had maybe thirty mile per hour gusts at the most. So mm-hmm. there the weather cooperated, you know, thirties is easy to move in, forties is easy to move in. Like the weather was great. So yeah. if there was a so I'm hoping, you know, next year fate offers us the same reward and gives us good weather again. The thing that I looked at, and again I was being the voyeur and I was looking at the stats, it seemed like they were capable of it for quite a long time. And then yep. the pace dropped off, 
and then I started doing the math, and I thought what they would need to muster in order to make it, it just became an insurmountable goal. And yeah. it, it just, I don't know whether that's just kind of how it worked. And I almost wonder whether the people that put on the event did the math and said, they're going to get really close, but it's going to be no cigar. It's just the, I mean, the statistical probability of something, even if you have four studs in your team, though, the statistical probability of like four studs who are all capable of like, let's say 110 miles at WTM individually, you throw them together, they have a phenomenal team dynamic and everything, but just that, you know, put four people on champ stamp, like, yeah, you're going to fail once in a while, put four people on any of those obstacles, you're going to fail once in a while, someone might develop an injury uh, that might come, you know, to get four, to say like, like, like if you look at any ultra race or anything like that, name one ultra race in the world where the top four in that race have remained the top four in that race throughout the whole hundred miles. There's not a single race that I can say that's ever happened. Hmm. And, and so, and so to have that happen at, at, at a race, even if it's a team is like, I'm, and I'm not saying it's not possible, but it's, it's just, it, I, you don't see it happen very often where all four people remain really strong the, the entirety of it. Um, so it's just, it's gotta be a really solid team. I think it would be interesting if they also put $100,000 on a finish time for a solo. Um, I, you know, I, I, maybe, do that for me. <laughs> hang, that, hang that out there. Maybe just say 105 miles or 110 yeah, miles. Yeah. They can throw it at 125. I was, I was joking about the idea of, uh, Miguel, the idea for the, uh, I, I think it's impossible, but the, uh, the USA national 24-hour running team, you have to do 130 miles in a 24-hour event to qualify for the national oh, team. Sure. It would be really funny to qualify for that at WTM. Using <laughs> WTM, that would be sick. I don't That's think your goal. Now you know what you yeah. got to do, 130 miles. Well, I think oh, Scott Jurek's uh, record for 24 hours is about 165 miles, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Scott can do it, you know, like 165 on a, on a track, dude. I should be able to do like 100 plus at it. No, I think it was a trail. Yeah. Yeah, okay, was it? Yeah. Get on the ball, Nick. Check it, but I know I'm out there. Go do it. Quit slacking, man. And I think that Yannick Koros' time was... He's 188. Nobody touches. Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say. Yeah, yeah, nobody touches what Yannick does. Wow. Well, uh, I guess it's next year. We're going to have to uh, lay back and wait. In the meantime, uh, we've got stuff to do, right? Yeah, Um, lots lots of training to do. Lots of clinics. So uh, uh, before we uh, before we go off into that, I want to ask one final question about preparing for an event like this. All right. And I know there's a lot of scuttlebutt out there in regard to the amount of running that one needs to do to prepare for most obstacle events. And there's a camp that believes that it becomes more a function of how strong you are and the idea of minimal mileage, a lot of strength training, and that will get you through it. But I don't. I'm not one of those believers. I think that the the longer the event, you got to get the you got to get those miles under your belt in order to just get your body in a place where it starts to um, identify with the stress that's going to be brought on by the challenge. And when you look at the guys that are doing well, Nick being one of them, clearly the advantage they have is he's got a history of being out there and doing 100 milers and 120 milers and. And, and beyond. And so when things got a little ugly and he needed to throw down, he had a gear that I don't think anybody else had. What are your thoughts, guys? Do you do you need to put in the miles, or do you think that uh, doing a lot of CrossFit is going to get you through it? 
I think it depends on the uh, on the distance of the race. You know, if we're doing a sprint distance race, then obviously mileage isn't as important, and a lot of that explosiveness is 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 really key. Um, you know, and then when we're talking about, well, the longer the race gets, the more important the mileage is. So if your focus is to be racing anything from a beast to an ultra beast to uh, world toughest mutter, get out on the trails and just get your body used to running a ton and to and to kind of putting your body through the ringer that you put yourself through in world's toughest maybe not quite to that same intensity but like i mean i had a few just good long eight hour beach workouts where i was going in and out of the water and running and doing body weight stuff and dragging tires behind me in the sand like all kinds of things just to get prepared for it and to know what it'll feel like um so i think i think the mileage and then just being prepared uh, as far as the other physical taxes taxing that that you'll take you know because stuff like king of swingers stuff like monkey bar i mean i'm sure there were people who they got to a certain point where they're failing every obstacle every time because they didn't have the grip strength or they didn't have the upper body for it or they didn't have um you know the core for it like doing the gut buster mm-hmm. so it's it, you definitely can't neglect that stuff either so i think running and um you know my off season is going to involve working with you obviously rich but then also i'm going to spend some time at the rock climbing gym gym so that i come back even stronger for next year nick uh yeah i mean i i would completely agree with miguel like i don't i don't my my uh experience base in in shorter races obviously is pretty limited um but i I would totally agree that you know some of that crossfit stuff the uh the the strength endurance stuff would would certainly help out in the 5k 10k type distance but then when you do, when you get to the beast, the ultra beast, the, the WTMs or the death race type stuff, what's going to help there is certainly that mental grit that you've developed through experience in longer races. And when it comes down to, you know, what helped me kick out those loops later in the race was certainly my aerobic base that I developed uh, pretty much the entire year in training for the Fat Dog 120. And then really I honed on with, with working with you over the past couple months from Fat Dog till now kind of my my running efficiency while working on my aerobic base and just really increasing that because that is going to be what you fall back on in a 24-hour race like it doesn't matter how much you postured and flew through the first two laps of a 24-hour race that's not the finish line the finish line is in 24 hours so you know that that aerobic base that you that you've learned to narrow down to a 730 or seven minute mile that's the gold um and how long you can hold on to that um is, is really going to be your gold in a race like that. So even if, you know, for me, the, the, the gold there would be like, even if you're failing stuff, like, you know, I somehow or another, I had the grip strength. I did, I, to be honest, like I did zero, um, last year for WTM, I did like a lot of weird tree climbing. I climbed a lot of trees. I don't know why I found that relevant, but I climbed a lot of trees. Um, (laughs) and, uh, this year, uh, I just, I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to kind of just put, I naturally have kind of an upper body, and I'm just going to put put strength training uh, to the side and, and just just focus on my aerobic base and just really really dial that in, and um, that paid off. You know that that really 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 paid off for me because um, in the end, you know we're talking a distance. You know, it's the person who covers the most distance in the race, and you know it's not a bike race. You're on you're on foot, so um, running is a huge 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 component um, of of something like WTM. Okay, so we're going to Austin, Texas. Yep. For the fifth and sixth of December, to yep. teach these obstacle racers that 
register for our event, how to run properly. Yes. Now, aside from being able to run a lot or to run fast, since you guys have kind of got involved in this with me, what is your take on running skill and the importance of running skill relative to volume and intensity? And I'm asking you this question for a very specific reason. I yeah. made a comment during the race on the social media about your ability to all of a sudden punch the accelerator and take off. And I attributed it to potentially, and this is me talking, not you, so you could say, no, I'm wrong if you think I sh you should, but I felt that the little bit of work we've had a chance to do, cleaning up your economy and your efficiency, really starts to take hold when things start to get ugly. What are your thoughts on that, both you guys? I would I would definitely say, you know, some some of that certainly. Um the 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 work that I'd been doing aerobically and and just, you know, what my thoughts are during the race, you know, instead of just like, oh, I got to get to the next obstacle and, and kind of welling with that over in my mind. And I'm not sure. I, I think we still have Miguel on the call. Miguel, yeah, you do. Oh. Yeah, I'm still here. No, I I um you know, running when things get ugly is an interesting thing to talk about because it's one thing to be running with good form and efficiency and what have you when you're training. You know, when you know that you're going to be out there doing 800, you know, eight, eight 800s with, with uh, burpees and walking lunges in between or something like that. Or you're going on a one-hour sustained pace run at zone three. But when you get out there on the course, whether it's a 24-hour race or a 13-miler or a 10K or a 5K, things can fall apart pretty quickly if you aren't consistent and if you and if you don't think about those things so i think it's uh, i have noticed a big difference especially this year at world's toughest because last year my running form fell apart to shit i mean i was you know excuse my french um i i was heel striking i was just running with my head down like i was crossing my body and this year even uh, most of the time I was running with pretty good form. I, I actually, especially after the last time we met, Richard, uh, you know, you pointed out that I still have that over ten, that tendency to overstride a bit, even though I may have much better form. So I actually tried thinking to myself the, almost the entire time that I was running to, to not overstride, to focus my, my mind on keeping my body or my legs underneath my body. And I was and I felt like I was doing that a little more successfully. I think the only time where I would falter is actually like coming out of an obstacle just to kind of get moving and stuff. But once I was moving, I was able to maintain that. And so it's made a big difference, especially because um, before this race, I developed some knee tendonitis after the Ultra Beast. And my knee tendonitis wasn't an issue. And, and, I'd, and I'd like to attribute that to the fact that I focused so much on not overstriding, on making sure to keep my, my arms, you know, hip to nip and, not ha and having that slight forward lean, keeping my head a little elevated, you know, and just and falling into, into these good habits that made a mountain of difference because I, I ran 50 miles and I felt like I could have ran 50 more. Whether I had 24 hours in a race or not, I felt fresh enough to do it, you know. Well, I know both of you guys have heard me say this more than a few times, is that my opinion is that the first thing we need to do as a runner is eliminate any and all of the potential errors that we would typically make. And when you get to a place where you're impervious to error, and I'm, I'm sure that that's almost impossible to get to, but if you aspire to be 
as impervious to air as you possibly can be, then the incident of injury and the incident of faltering, uh, vertical oscillation, which is wasting a lot of time, overstriding, braking, which is wasting a lot of time, putting a lot of stress on the body. When you get to a place where, regardless of whether you're leading into a, uh, an obstacle or coming away from an obstacle or you've got another 50 or another three miles to go, no matter what you do, your running skill is intact you're always going to be further and further ahead of the game. I liken it to a boxing event where, you know, boxer A, who has impeccable skill, starts to badger boxer B, calling him names, talking about his mama, and getting the guy to lose it, and the guy starts getting all sloppy, and then yeah. the guy summarily starts to take him apart because he's on point and he's doing the right thing. And, I, you know, same analogy with two runners is that, the guy that's going to keep it together, keep his form intact, has been always doing that with his training, he's more likely to produce better speed, better efficiency, better economy. So I think that that's, regardless of distance, I think it's an imperative point to consider. Yeah. And stay injury-free. I mean, with exception, uh, I've, this is, for me, you know, I've only been an athlete. I'm, I'm not, I'm not like Nick. I haven't been doing this forever. I've only been an athlete for about three years, and I was my first two years really just getting injured all the time from going just hard in the paint in every single workout and just not really letting up at any point in time, even if I was only training three or four days a week. And so now, I mean, I'm at the point where I'm training six days a week. I take Sundays off, um, and I my peak mileage before I started to taper was almost 80 miles in a week. And otherwise I was in the seventies and, and that's the first time I've ever done that high of a mileage and not had any issues. You know, I didn't have any, any nagging pain in my metarsals or in my knee or anything that was giving me trouble. And it's definitely has, I mean, as, as you've put it, you know, you can be very fit and kind of hide or, these these problems these physiological issues can be sort of hidden because you're fit enough or what have you but eventually they start to make a difference or they start to make an impact especially when you go to like another level whether it's regarding your speed or regarding your mileage or regarding the intensity but i managed to to stay healthy to stay efficient because because i cared about my form and i can't i can't thank you enough well, it's been my pleasure. So i got to share this with you. Yesterday morning, I was at the track. Track day for me is 6 o'clock every Tuesday morning for the past, I can't tell you how many years. And there's a group of guys that train there. I think they get there about an hour before us. And these guys are seasoned runners, and they're all very good runners in respect to time. Marathon runners, they're all sub-three-hour runners. And the quicker of, of the group... Nice guy, you know, we always have pleasantries, hello, how are you? I never critique these guys. I never get in their face about the way they run. Mm -hmm. But I watch them run, and I could see the mistakes they're making, and I thought, well, the thing to do is that if they ever decide that they want to ask me a question or get some advice, I'm here, they could ask, and I'll, I'll offer. But yesterday, which was Tuesday, this guy comes up to me and goes, Richard, he started out with some pleasantries. Hey, how about this? How about that? He goes, hey, uh, I got a question for you. And it was interesting because I never expect him to ask questions. And he said, I've been having this problem with my back, and my legs have felt dead for the past week. 
and on and on and on, realized that I've got a history of watching this guy run around the track. And I said, well, if you're asking me what's causing it, I could tell you that from watching you hyperextend your back when you run and your knees are too far behind you all the time. You don't get any hip flexion. You don't. There's a lot of things going on. You're harboring a lot of the load in your low back. And he looked at me quizzically, and then I did a little body work on him, and I loosened up his quadratus lumborum, and I got him freed up, and he, he was like, like he saw a ghost. He couldn't believe how much better he felt. <laughs> um, but there you go. Eventually, it takes the best of you out. If you, It comes down to what I said you were trying to paint that picture, is that it's a function of strength-to-weight ratio. And eventually, if you put enough work in, it'll take you out if you run poorly. And it, here was the case with this guy, and... He's looking forward to seeing me Tuesday. He's wanting me to help him a little bit. But right. anyway, yep. we're not going to kick that dead horse anymore. We're going to be in Texas. Mm-hmm. Anybody that's looking to go to Texas and participate in our clinic, you got to get on it. We're talking about Austin, Texas. We're talking about December 5th and 6th. You can go to the naturalrunningcoach.net, go to clinics, and get the information and register. Meet Miguel. Meet Nick Holland and myself, and get some of the love we share. And before I get any further with this, Black Friday, pay attention. you got to get on to our show for Black Friday next week, giving away some cool stuff. RPM Square insoles, they're $600-plus a pair. Measure force production. Look at vertical oscillation, contact points, hang time. This stuff's like a computer in your feet. Amazing, amazing tools. I'm giving a pair of them away. Going to give away some scratch labs, some cool stuff from Rock Tape, and I'm still working on some other folks. So don't miss it. Guys, say goodbye to everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, Lone Stars and uh, Southern Spartans and Yancey Campers and everybody in Texas, if you run, if you're an obstacle racer, if you love the mud, but you don't want to get injured or you want to be able to push harder, come out to our clinic. Come check it out. Come meet us. Come learn how to be a better, more efficient runner and, of course, run injury-free. There you go. Well said. All right. Have a good one, guys. Gentlemen, enjoy the rest of your day. I will see you very, very soon. Sounds good, Richard. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.